FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources and information on the safe, evidence-based approach to practising complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e-news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts and industry information. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And joining me all the way from sunny Chicago is a former physiotherapist turned herbalist and naturopath, Stacey Roberts, the baby maker, who's been involved in healthcare since 1989 in both conventional and complementary medicine. Stacey is an internationally recognized natural fertility and women's health expert who has assisted people in over 32 countries with improving their overall health and well-being by addressing not just their physical, but also their physiological and psychological health with complementary products and services. Stacy took over Sharkey's Healing Centre in 2004, a clinic that has worked with couples who have created over 6,000 babies while on her program. Most were told it would never happen for them. This program, called the Baby Maker Network Mentoring Program, is designed to help practitioners become expert in helping couples achieve greater pregnancy success. Stacy, welcome back to FX Medicine. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be back. So, Stacy, today we're going to be delving into premature ovarian failure. Which, m- correct me if I'm wrong, but is this like premature menopause? Well, it can be mistaken as premature menopause, but women who actually are experiencing premature ovarian failure or the new term to kind of take the failure out of it is um, premature ovarian insufficiency um, actually can become pregnant about 5 to 10% of the time, right. whereas premature menopause, really, they're, they're not able to become pregnant at all. And how many women does this affect? And you know, what age group is it most affecting? Well, the average age, if you look at um, different studies or different databases that are out there, is about 33 years old, but it affects about 1% of, of women under 40 uh, and 0.1% of women under 30. So it's the, the incidence is really coming from about 25% idiopathic, where they, they really, from a medical standpoint, really don't know where it's coming from, and, mm. and uh, environmental causes are most likely contributing to that in a hefty way. But then 37% is atrogenic, which um, are women who, you know, for example, are women who've gone through cancer therapies yep. and basically have uh, shut down their, their system or have had, had their ovaries removed. Um, and then the rest is really divided up between genetic variations and mutations uh, of the X chromosome and mm. as well as about 19% leftover for autoimmune. Uh, so I'm going to imagine that this would be hugely underreported. Because yeah, a woman would only sort of go to have this investigated if she's trying to fall pregnant. Right. A lot of times what will happen is she'll go, let's say she's missing her periods, and she really has to miss periods for four to six months to be considered premature uh, mm-hmm. ovarian insufficiency. But if she's young, you know, in her 20s, and uh, the doctor just puts her on the pill because she's not uh, ovulating or hasn't really done any more investigative tests, yeah, I would agree with you. I'm sure it's underreported, especially in that age group. And so how then would a woman get this picked up? Obviously, you know, that uh, widely varying periods 
is something that women just very often cope with. When do they tend to visit or seek a medical professional to say there's something wrong here? Well, it's usually when somebody is dealing with fertility issues, if they haven't had any cancer treatment previously or, or any other reason why they may suspect that their fertility was going to be affected um, earlier or later in life, depending on when they may have had surgery or treatment. It's usually when they're looking at, uh, you know, trying to wanting to start a family. So they've come off the pill, uh, the period doesn't return, maybe they didn't have regular periods before going on the pill. Uh, or simply they're just not feeling well and, you know, they go to the physician for that. But most people it's going to be when they want to kind of do something about it because, unfortunately, our society kind of looks at not having periods as a good thing Hmm. versus uh, as a concern for overall health. Yeah. Um, What about long-term effects after coming off the OCP, especially the implantable devices, um, even intrauterine devices? Do they present a major sort of risk area in this? As far as related to the premature ovarian insufficiency, it's not real clear whether uh, that's causative at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does pose a risk for people in regards to their thyroid, potentially their adrenals, gut health, you know, a lot of other areas involved in fertility and overall health. Yeah. But there isn't really any specific research to say that that would be causative or even correlated. Gotcha. Okay, so so let's go through the the symptoms of premature ovarian insufficiency. Um, like they they must be so wide in variation. How would how would you list the symptoms to start suspecting? Well, firstly, it would be very you know number one is not having a period for about four to six months or more. Mm-hmm. So that's the the number one thing that needs to be ticked off the list from a diagnosis point of view. Um, but then it's really about not necessarily, well, well, let me back up a little bit. The symptoms that they would experience would be those that were similar to menopause. So mm-hmm. we're talking about hot flushes, we're talking about vaginal dryness, we're talking about night sweats, you know, uh, poor concentration. Uh, those types of things would be the symptoms. So they suspect that they're menopause and then go in and, and have it looked at. And, um, and again, from a, from a point of view of testing-wise, uh, then they would rule out things like polycystic ovaries, any issues with pituitary disease, um, hypo or hyperthyroidism, you know, any uterine abnormalities, you know, or if they're um, obese or diabetic, is that poorly controlled, or and even things like celiac disease. So once the symptoms are are presenting themselves in as far as amenorrhea goes, and then some of those kind of menopausal symptoms then medically they would rule out those other things. And, and what about one of the hallmark um, pathology tests is, you know, high non-cycling FSH levels, follicle-stimulating hormone? Yeah, as they're ruling out those, those issues that I mentioned, they would do the hormone profiles and they would look at the FSH levels. And FSH levels in early menopause, though, are also going to be elevated. Yeah. And uh, one study that um, I looked at, really looked at their FSH levels as an average of 65 or over. But, you know, I've oh. had women with higher or lower lower levels than that. Um, so it's just an average, but definitely elevated FSH, which we would which we would suspect because the, you know, the ovaries are not responding to any stimulus from the pituitary. So uh, high FSH is usually what's going on. Oftentimes what I've seen is um, not necessarily very low estrogen, mm-hmm. uh, but it can certainly be low. But uh, the estrogen can can be more of a moderate, like let's say from the Australian point of view, um, anywhere between 30 and 100. Yep. That would then put me to think more of a insufficiency versus you know complete failure in regards to 
premature menopause. The other aspect that is oftentimes uh, alongside those other blood results are elevated prolactin levels. And that's key to know from a naturopathic point of view because um, primary ovarian, excuse me, premature ovarian insufficiency is, is difficult to treat with just herbals or supplements. So if we look at what we can do from the blood test point of view uh, and not just give one herb for fertility, um, we then can do some, some major, we can see some major progress if we choose the right botanicals. Now, you, you mentioned before, Stacey, about that, you know, a lot of people seem to think that not having a period is a good thing, but there's inherent risks of cancer when you don't have a cycling, a normal hormonal cycling, right? Well, less less risk for cancer because you when you don't have a cycle, if your estrogen levels are low, then there, the idea is that you should have less cancer risk. However, there is a definitely increased risk for bone loss, osteoporosis, and some studies are even uh, showing a correlation with uh, increased cardiovascular disease. So it's definitely a, a risk. Um, and you know, from a medical point of view, they they put oftentimes put women on on estrogen. But one study showed that even women who are on estrogen therapy um, had a decrease in bone mass by 50% while they were on Whoa. that in a two-year period of time. So it's still not the right answer. You know, yeah. horse, horse estrogen is not necessarily the right answer for for this uh, from a medical point of view. But it does help with symptoms and it can make women more comfortable and sure. potentially could help with fertility from a medical treatment standpoint. So what do practitioners need to be alert for to refer on and get things checked out medically? Well, they definitely want to make sure that um, an extensive amount of, of testing was done to determine, you know, what's going on in regards to reproductive function, but also thyroid function and adrenal function as well, too. And we, you know, from a naturopathic point of view, a holistic point of view, we want to take in the, into the into account the environment as well. Yeah. We're not going to really do much about the genetic issues. So if there's, uh, you know, deletions or or um, an, an X chromosome that's completely um, gone or translocations, excuse me, um, then, you know, we're not going to be doing much in regards to that uh, from a naturopathic point of view. But it doesn't mean we can't help with symptoms and things. But the other aspects from an environmental point of view, we want to look at hair mineral analysis. You know, we want to look at organic acid tests. We want to do a lot of things where we can see what environmental impacts um, we're having. And with all the, the research on the methylation pathway, um, my guess is uh, over time, as, as uh, premature ovarian insufficiency gets a little bit more research behind it regarding the methylation pathway, we're going to be seeing some SNPs that are directly related to that as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so how can practitioners differentiate between other hormonal irregularities? Um, you know, are there any specific, um, you know, key indices that they should be looking for when they're doing, say, a, a metabolic hormonal profile um, and so therefore they can practice safe, effective natural medicine? Sure. When they're looking at just the general reproductive hormones, so for example, if they're looking at what's already been done or if they want to order some additional testing, they would definitely want to look at uh, FSH levels, clearly LH levels, both of which will most likely be elevated, um, and then look at the hormone levels for thyroid. So you know, your TSH, your free T4, your free T3 levels, your reverse T3 levels, 
and thyroid antibodies from an autoimmune point of view to see if there is some autoimmunity that's contributing to the situation, which I always look at if there's autoimmune issues present. You know, I go with food sensitivities and environmental factors, exposures, heavy metals, etc., um, because those definitely will impact the autoimmune system. And uh, in particular, that was one benefit uh, with a patient that I had who um, came in with um, premature ovarian insufficiency where yeah. uh, just heavy metals from uh, growing up on a farm, um, exposed to chemicals for long periods of time. The thyroid was uh, also very sluggish. Um, her ovaries were told, she was told that her ovaries were very small from what they should be um, because she hadn't ovulated and that she recalled in her lifetime, maybe more than once or twice that she had, that she recalled having a period. So when we were able to go through a, a gentle, because she wanted to become pregnant, a gentle cleanse over a six to eight week period of time, and then kind of went about a week, a month for the next six months with a gentle cleanse, we were able to see some of those metals coming down, her thyroid function improving, and she started to get a period. So we were wow. all very excited because she hadn't had one previously. So another example would be, you know, salivary cortisol levels. I like to have for these women as well, too, to take a look at what their adrenals are doing. Um, because as we talked about when we spoke in the uh, podcast on thyroid and adrenals, um, there's a huge association between the two. And if the body has had significant stress over time from, again, heavy metal exposures, maybe a poor eating plan, maybe celiac disease, we, we just don't know, then the adrenals can be a significant, significantly affecting mm. their overall health and it's often overlooked. All right. What sort of therapies do you employ um, to, you know, be both safe and effective when hopefully rejuvenating the ovaries? Well, we want to look at what the, you know, what the blood tests show in front of us. So yeah. what I do find is if the person with premature ovarian insufficiency has elevated prolactin levels, um, I found that Vitex works extremely well um, to help regulate those. And also then it seems to be indirectly support um, thyroid function and uh, also then progesterone production. And I've had some luck with Vitex, um, but if the levels of prolactin are not elevated and someone just wants to use Vitex, I've had very, very poor results with only utilizing Vitex. And oftentimes if the uh, prolactin levels are uh, not elevated, um, I won't start with Vitex at all because I haven't seen it do, you know, I haven't seen it really have an impact. But what I will do then is, again, assess the thyroid and adrenals. And if the thyroid seems to be primary, then I'll be looking at you know, utilizing withania, uh, which is ashwagandha, or bladderac, or T4 levels in, uh, specifically are outside of the optimal range that I like to see. Then I'll be looking at adding some iodine as well. And I really like, um, utilizing blue, pl blue plurum as well, especially nice. if I'm concerned about the iodine levels potentially stimulating a hyperthyroidism type situation because it, in a couple studies it has shown that blue plurum has a kind of regulating factor in those who have hyperthyroidism or you know a Graves type situation. So I like to use that combination as well for the thyroid. Now if I'm if based on cortisol tests and and the thyroid test, I think the adrenals are primary. That's when I'll go to things like Romania. Um, and I'd be very gentle with the ginsengs that I choose to use just because some can be stimulating yeah. into the system. And I may use like reishi 
as well for immune support, but also as an adaptogen as well. Do you find that there's so many questions that I could ask from that, but like I love bupleurum. If you look at um, all of the TCM formulas for sort of balancing a thyroid, it always contains bupleurum as this really great anti-inflammatory sort of herb. It's wonderful. I love it too. Stacey, can I just ask you, regarding Vitex, do you find that um, low-dose versus high-dose Vitex has a a modulating effect with regards to prolactin levels, either, you know, encouraging or blocking prolactin? You know, what I find with prolactin that's interesting with with Vitex is with every person there seems to be a sweet spot. So what I mean by that is I might give somebody, you know, 50 mils in their formulation, uh, in a 250 mil formulation, and that might then, I'll notice a, a, a increased level of prolactin and that same 50 mils in somebody else's formula might decrease the levels of prolactin. Right. So it really, again, depends on the person, but I do see a modulating effect of that of, of that herb. Now, from a high-dose point of view, I just don't tend to, to utilize that because I haven't needed to. Yeah. Um, because if, if I'm not getting the result that I want from... Uh, what I would consider a, a moderate dose or a higher end, end dose at a thousand milligrams from just, you know, utilizing one tablet, then I'm going to be looking at other areas versus increasing it more to see if there's a depressive effect I think, uh, or a further depressive effect. I think this is the expertise that you'll be able to share with people in the Baby Maker program, and that is when does a practitioner um, who is expert enough to feel competent and comfortable with saying, yes, this is the correct herb. If it's not working, adjust the dose, or this just isn't working, change the herb. Uh, I think that's one right. of the key things that you'll be able to transfer to other practitioners to help them along their career. Absolutely. What about one of my favourite herbs? And, and you know, years ago, it, it, it's a very expensive herb, and years ago there was attempts to look for other alternatives because of, um, you know, issues with procurement of this herb, and that's false unicorn. But I have found nothing works like false unicorn. Do you ever use that? I love false unicorn, but again, because of the, uh, you know, almost endangered status, really, yeah. uh, and really uh, the price yeah. um, point because of that is uh, it's really not very cost-effective, unfortunately, uh, for patients and very, very hard to get. Mm. Um, and the expense is just... Uh, you know, I can't. There's other things that we can do in place of it, but um, absolutely. So, so I can't support the expense that it would cost my patient to to uh, include it at, at an effective dose. Yeah. So that's where I look at other areas and other herbs to use. But yeah, it's it's sad that it's not more available. Yeah. And uh, so, given that it. nothing is exactly like it, things like what Shadavari. Uh, absolutely. I love to use Shadavari. Dong Kwai, I love to use. Um, I'll do things like tribulus, especially the Bulgarian tribulus. We've talked about this in the male fertility, but I like to utilize that for um, elevated FSH levels because premenopausal women, tribulus has been shown to uh, lower FSH levels. Um, excuse me, in postmenopausal women, sorry, um, lower FSH levels. Um, and it also works in what I've seen clinically to also lower FSH levels. And in um, women who haven't gone through menopause, if their FSH levels are too low, sometimes it will also have a modulating effect too as well. And I love the combination of uh, tribulus and chatavari, especially if you have the traditional high um, FSH uh, and low estradiol levels. 
Sh- I'll also use one other one that I wanted to mention yep. to you, Andrew. Another herb that I wanted to mention is motherwort. I love ah, using yes. motherwort from the standpoint of, of um, supporting thyroid function indirectly, but also from, you know, as a uterine tonic and just because these women are often, especially if they're finding out that they may not be able to have children, they're often very um, anxious and irritable and motherwort just has this beautiful soothing effect uh, for these women. Uh, And yeah, I just, I oftentimes will use that for these women as well. Obviously, there's going to be caveats to therapy. Um, how do you broach the use of natural therapies? And when do you sort of go, whoa, back, this is out of my territory, you need to go and see another practitioner? And indeed, what issues do you find you need to be really cautious with with regards to natural treatment? For instance, um, uh, when you're using, um, you know, the iodine or iodine-containing herbs with, say, ha- um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis? Sure, that, that's a great question. Uh, well, I would always want to get, well, first I would want to have them have the, you know, recommended RDI and RDA levels of iodine uh, and also see if they're iodine deficient with a 24-hour um, urinary iodine test if, if the physician will do it. Mm-hmm. That'll give me the kind of a first baseline of what I need to do in regards to supporting them with um, iodine support. And then I'm just very cautious of that and educating the patient of what to look for. For example, I had a woman who, uh, you know, we wanted to add a bit of iodine based on her T4 levels. Um, she uh, was from uh, of Asian descent and often had iodine in her food. But what she would, would do uh, after I told her that um, her test, since moving to Australia, we noted that she had some iodine deficiency. So I talked to her about that. And what she was doing after that was chewing on seaweed throughout the day. Um, And so her levels of iodine that she was getting were significantly higher, probably 5,000, 6,000 micrograms. She was able to to tolerate it to a certain point, I think, because her level, she was so used to it from how she grew up. But, you know, she became a bit hyperthyroid. And, uh, because I didn't know she was going to be chewing on it all day. <laughs> so <laughs> we you know, got rid of that, and then she was fine after that. So uh, it's all also about education to make sure that, you know, you let the patient know what if they're feeling any type of symptoms like this, if they want to cut back on that, let, let you know, and uh, uh, so you can stop any particular herb or supplement that you're giving that you're concerned about. And you mentioned, you know, significant anxiety in women, particularly if they want to fall pregnant, and this can actually compound the issue. What sort of things do you institute to help these ladies just settle down and and concentrate on getting generally well? Well, we talk a lot about stress management and what they can do. First of all, what they enjoy. Um, Everybody has stress management techniques, but a lot of them are unhealthy. So we talk about, you know, what can they do that's a healthy stress management (laughs) technique? And there's a, a great website, actually, Andrew. It's called Circle yeah. and Bloom. And uh, circleandbloom.com is excellent for some visualization techniques to work towards optimizing women's health and, and fertility. So that's one thing if they're not really, if they don't think they can meditate or have never really done meditation, uh, we do talk about that a lot. And then I'll utilize herbs to help that process along, uh, skullcap, chamomile, um, you know, and herbs like that to help kind of uh, support the nervous system, but not stimulate it to calm the nervous system yeah. throughout. And again, motherwort, motherwort seems to be a, a fantastic 
curb as well for that. And just for our listeners there, um, what Stacey mentioned was www.circlebloom.com. So thank you, Stacey, for that. It's a great, great little website. Stacey, you, you, we've spoken about herbs, but what about nutrients? There's a little bit of controversy on some, but there are uh, other nutrients or some nutrients which are pointedly useful in um, premature ovarian, ovarian insufficiency. Yep, definitely. Um, you know, one study showed that you know, nutrients, nutrient therapy had no, uh, no bearing on improving a woman's situation with uh, uh, primary, um, excuse me, premature ovarian insufficiency. However, that's like um, taking your car into the shop and it's not starting up and, and they change the oil and then expect, you know, that to fix the, yeah. the engine of the car. <laughs> yeah. um, really what it is is finding out what nutrients are going to be supportive. So going back to what we talked about earlier, if there's some thyroid issues, we want to look at you know, your selenium, zinc, iodine, as we talked about, and chromium. We want to look at if it's adrenal is primary, we want to get you know, B vitamins for support, uh, we need zinc as well. Um, so it's really about pinpointing which nutrients uh, over and above a, you know, a good quality prenatal if, if again, their, uh, their goal is fertility and they're seeing you. Um, and then in addition to that, probiotic to optimize gut health. And then, of course, fish oil as well to optimize overall egg health and decrease inflammation. But then also remembering that, you know, um, I don't advocate a heavy detox prior to anyone trying to become pregnant, at least in the three months that they, in the three months leading up to them trying to become pregnant. However, a gentle cleanse to help decrease uh, heavy metals or uh, toxic exposure is, can be done in such a way to actually support fertility and not, uh, put too much stress on the system to, to draw away from fertility. I love the way that you responsibly approach and that nutrients are not drugs. And if you if wish to use a drug as a nutrient, you're in for a quite a frustrating lo- um, ride <laughs> as a career. Sort Absolutely. Of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I might also add for our listeners that it's one of the beauties I find with you, Stacey, is that you don't just talk about the interventions that you use with regards to supplements, but you always approach that couple's um, issues from a couple perspective. And it's one of the things that I think practitioners need to really get back to is concentrating on those people right there in front of you rather than what pills you have to use behind you. Right. And I think too, Andrew, when somebody comes in with, with POI and it's just the female and their goal is fertility, remember to still involve the male in regards to getting the semen analysis and, and doing at least a general workup for him as well too, so that if you're able to help and support this female's fertility, that you know six months down the road, they don't find out that there might be an issue with male fertility that you could have been working on for those last six months. So again, it, especially if it's a fertility issue, remember always that it's a couple's issue. Stacey Roberts, thank you so much for taking us through yet another complex conundrum uh, facing couples, and, and we'll explore more in the coming months. So thank you once again for joining us on FX Medicine. It's an absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Hi, this is Stacey the Babymaker Roberts, and I would like to invite you to join me this year in an industry first. I have put together more than a decade of my clinical experience into developing the first online mentoring program that deals with the ever-growing area of natural fertility. 
My Baby Maker Network Mentoring Program is an online interactive program where you will learn how to address all aspects of fertility issues. You will learn how to successfully navigate the most challenging cases and walk away with the knowledge that every specialist in the area of natural fertility must possess in order to feel confident and competent in the clinical setting. If you are ready to be a part of an atmosphere that helps you build your practice while helping couples build their family, I look forward to getting to know you in the Baby Maker Mentoring Program. Please go to bioceuticals.com.au and click on the Education tab for more information and to register.